Amen. Thank you all so much. Ooh. May we never take for granted that God meets with us and moves when he meets with us. Amen. You know, when the glory came down and filled the tabernacle, there was also the day where the glory departed because the people of God were no longer interested in really meeting with their God and allowing God to move. And may that never be true of us. May we continue to pursue God and go after all that he has for us, both individually and here at the Oasis. God is moving, folks, in our church. He's moving. And we want that to continue in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. Exodus 39 Hard to believe, the next to last chapter, two weeks from today, we start a new series, July the 12th, in the book of Acts. Let's remember something about Acts. Acts is simply part two of the Gospel of Luke that we're studying on Sunday morning. Luke is not an end to itself. Luke continues. The, the ministry of Jesus continues in the book of Acts, and that's why I believe God said, you just... Take Luke and go from Sunday then and move to Wednesday night. And there's not a book in the Bible that teaches us more about how to walk in the Spirit and be filled by the Spirit than the book of Acts. So I'm excited. Chapter by chapter, we're going to go through the book of Acts beginning in two weeks. I hope you'll join us as we do that. I think that's going to be, again, just another way that God just continues to build us as a church. Tonight in Exodus 39, as I shared before our worship, Exodus is a story of movement from slavery to worship. It is also a story of change of service. And Exodus 39 reinforces one of the central themes of the book of Exodus. And that is that God alone determines and dictates how he is to be worshiped. He does not ask his people to creatively think up their own way to approach him and to worship him. Instead, he carefully explains what they are to do. And that's why it's so important that we learn then simply to respond to the revelation of God. True worship is responding to what God has called us to do, God has told us to do. Let me repeat that. True worship is responding to what God has called us to do, what God has told us to do. And I want you to see this, because the, the book of Exodus is all about worship, right? And we worship God through singing, but we also worship God by responding to what he's told us to do. And I want you to note how important this is to God because we're going to see in this chapter how many times this phrase is used over and over and over again because God wants us to get it. So notice beginning at the end of verse 1, this phrase, just as the Lord had commanded. Then if you go down to verse 5 at the end, just as the Lord had commanded. Verse 7 at the end, just as the Lord had commanded. 
over to verse 21 at the end. Just as the Lord had commanded. Verse 26, just as the Lord had commanded. I'm going to take them all, okay? End of verse 29, just as the Lord commanded. End of verse 31, just as the Lord commanded. Verse 32, all that the Lord had commanded. Verse 42, all that the Lord had commanded. Verse 43, just as the Lord had commanded. Ten times in this chapter, what does God want to emphasize? That the Israelites were worshiping him. How were they worshiping him? By doing all that he had commanded. They were responding in obedience. What he told them to do, they did. What he called them to do, they did. So tonight, you and I can demonstrate our worship of God. In fact, we can do it every single day of our lives. How? When God reveals when God speaks, when God calls, we do just as the Lord commands. That's how we worship God. That's how we worship God every day, by doing the things that the Lord has told us he wants us to do. That minute, that hour, that day. That's how we begin to learn to build into our lives a lifestyle of worship, you see. Then if you go back up to verse 1, we'll pick it up there. We've talked about the beauty of the tabernacle and the furniture and the garments, and certainly that's on display here again in chapter 39. And one of the things, too, that I want to point out when people ask me, what are the two pillars of the Oasis Church? I always say it's the worship of God and the Word of God. We want them to complement each other. That's why Nicole and I try to partner on the worship of God and the Word of God here every service, whether it's a Wednesday or our services on Sunday. And again, you see that played out here in Exodus 39. They were worshiping God but the word of God was obviously right there as they were worshiping. They were worshiping in complement to the word of God. And then you see something else about their worship. From the blue, purple, scarlet yarn, they made woven garments for serving in the sanctuary. Again, we not only worship God by responding to what God has told us to do, and we not only worship God by singing and praising him, as we've just done, but we worship God through service. Through service. And notice where this service is primarily to take place. In the house of God. In the sacred space. Through service in the sanctuary. Listen, folks, can we as Christians serve God anywhere, anytime, place out there in the world? Absolutely. But I'm telling you, look at it in the Word of God. This is based on the authority of the Word of God, that God calls every Christian to have a service in his house. 
You cannot substitute your service outside of the house of God and say, well, I'm serving God outside of the house, so that means I don't have to have a service for him inside the house. No, I'm telling you, you will not want to get to heaven one day and stand before God and, and not have served him not only in the world in some way, but in his house. It has always been that way. And too many Christians today somehow feel like they can substitute the service for God and somehow they don't have to do anything in the church. No, God has a place for everyone in the church in some capacity. It's how we worship him, in his house, in his house. Notice they made holy garments that were for Aaron. These are unique to the Old Testament form of worship. You never see these garments on any leaders or pastors in the New Testament. And one reason why is because, as we're going to see, those garments were not just about the person that was wearing them. The high priests and the priests during the tabernacle era were representing the entire nation and other people of God as they worshiped him. So it was not to draw attention to themselves. It was to remind the people of God who their God was and who they were to their God. Now today, we are clothed as well. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we are to carry ourselves in a certain way because of that. Paul even tells the Romans to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourselves in Jesus every day. And then notice again, just as the Lord had commanded but then I left this out on purpose as we went down through all those phrases, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses was the mediator. Moses was the one that God would share and communicate with, but then it was up to Moses to share what God poured into him to others. God wants to do that with us at times in our life. Sometimes God reveals things to us and it's just between us and God. It's just for us. But there's other times where, like with Moses, we are to be a, a mediator, a channel. God is going to share something with us so that we then in turn can pass it on to somebody else. Maybe it's general. Maybe it's somebody very specific. But that's Moses' place in this whole process. He's the go-between, if you will. Then they begin to talk about all the garments of the priest in verse 2. We talked in the last couple of weeks about the furniture and, and all the equipment of the tabernacle. Tonight, a lot of it is about the garments of the priests and the priesthood. And I want you to note something in verse 3. Remember, God gave these people supernatural 
ability and skill and wisdom to know how to do everything that he asked them to do. But also, God used things that they had already learned in their life previously. Because nothing in our life is ever purposeless. That the things that we learn throughout our life later on can be used for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. When the Bible says they hammered the gold into thin sheets, literally they expanded the gold by hammering, they learned that skill in Egypt. And so God even used some of the things that they learned while they were slaves in Egypt now for his glory. Again, change of service. Everything they did in Egypt, they did for a ruthless tyrant and they did it for his glory and the glory of Egypt. Now they, in turn, use some of the skills and abilities that they gained there along with what God supernaturally put into them. Now they're using it in service to their loving God and they're using it now for his glory and for other people's benefit. You and I do the same thing. Sometimes the things that we learned even pre-Christ, we now can use for his glory. See? And sometimes, though, God gives us those spiritual gifts and those abilities and those talents when we become a Christian. Or he enhances some kind of ability or talent when we become a Christian. But again, it's all going back to the fact that it's about the worship of God and the word of God and the service of God in his sanctuary. Notice once again, too, in verse 4, the work of an artistic designer, excuse me, the end of verse 3. I want to talk a little bit about this word work. <laughs> you know, even amongst Christians, I think there's a misconception about work. I think that we sometimes have bought into the philosophy of the world that work is bad and that we do everything we can to try to get out of work. And we even work to try to get to a place where we don't have to work. Folks, working is biblical. Working is always part of God's design. Working was part of God's design for human beings even before the fall. Working will be something that we do for God during the thousand-year millennial kingdom. We will be working. We will be working all through eternity. Work is not bad. Work is honorable. Work gives us purpose. Work brings fulfillment to our lives as human beings, especially when we're doing the work that God has called us to. And too many folks today do everything they can to get out of work. We need to encourage people, work is good. It's good to work, you see. And then the phrase artistic designer. I've touched on this throughout our study of the book of Exodus. This speaks of giving careful thought planning and preparation to what we are doing. And here's why. Because it is of great value and worth. Is that the way we approach what we do for God? 
even how we live our lives every day, that we want to give great care, planning, and preparation to all that we do as an ambassador for Jesus Christ because it carries great value and worth to us because God has entrusted us with something or certain things, and we want to make sure that we do the very best we can for him, for him. That's what these artistic designers remind us of. You'll see that phrase again in verse 8. He made the breast piece the work of an artistic designer. You see it throughout the book of Exodus. It's a good reminder that our primary motivation and inspiration for what we do and why we do it is because we want to do our very best for the Lord because we're ultimately serving him, not even people. Notice in verse 5, the artistically woven waistband of the ephod. And this also speaks about the imaginative, innovative, creative side of people. And I've encouraged you all to tap into your creative side. Even those of you that don't think you're very creative or artistic, God is a God of artistry. He is a God of creation. You look around at creation and you see all the different, you know, textures and colors and everything. That's who our God is. And that is reflected in us because we were made in the image of God. So therefore, there is some kind of creative artistic part of you. Maybe it's just never been stirred or, or encouraged in any way. But I would encourage that part of you because that is a reflection of our God. In verse 6, he begins to talk about the stones that were set in the breastpiece and in the shoulder pad sort of of the, of the priestly garment. And I want to talk about the idea of this seal and of the engravings. The seal is significant because it literally means something that is carved or cut. And why that's important is the book of Exodus has told us a lot about covenant, that God is a God of covenant. And the whole concept of a covenant is it literally means a cutting between two parties. And it is a reminder that God is a God of covenant who is faithful to his covenant, has called his people to enter into a covenant relationship with him. And part of that covenant relationship is not only great blessing and great privileges, but also great responsibility. Because that's what a covenant relationship is all about. There are privileges in a covenant relationship. There's also responsibility in a covenant relationship. Notice in verse 7, he put them on shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of a memorial for the Israelites, just as the Lord commanded. These shoulder pads or shoulder pieces were a way of sort of expressing that the priests were literally carrying the weight of others and the weight for others as they ministered for the Lord as priests. If, if you serve the Lord by serving others, you understand that. There are times where you're carrying the weight of someone else bearing their burden or whatever, or you're carrying a weight for somebody. In prayer, as you intercede 
You feel the weight of others as we minister. We feel that here as leaders. Some of us even can sense the heaviness and the weights and the burdens that some of you carry in here on Wednesdays and Sundays. We see it on you. We sense that on you. And that affects us. And I don't mean in a negative way. It's just it's part of how God wires us to be sensitive to that. That's who priests are. And we are all called to be priests of God today. And there are times where we carry those weights just as the priest did on their shoulders as a memorial even, as a record of remembrance how how the people of God are of great value and worth to him and that God cares about the things that we care about because he cares for us. Then verse 8, then there's the breast piece. Why is that important? Because it was a reminder that these stones, which represented all 12 tribes, were also not only born on the shoulders, but they were close to the heart. They were close to the heart. Do the things of others affect you? If we're going to be effective ministers, especially in ministering to others, there's got to be some type of measure of of sympathy and and empathy for others and what they're going through to enter in. That's who our high priest, Jesus Christ, is for us. That's why the book of Hebrews says he's a faithful and, and great high priest because he enters in to our pain and our struggles. And there's no one more sympathetic or empathetic than Jesus Christ. He feels the things that we feel even more than we could ever imagine. In fact, ooh, this passage coming up on Sunday, it's it's a tough one for me to study, much less to to share on Sunday, but I'm praying that just God will use it in our hearts to remind us of just how wonderful our Savior is that we sung about tonight, how good he is. Anyway, close to the heart. Notice also in verse 9, this breast piece had to be doubled. Why? Because it needed to support the weight of the stones that represented the 12 tribes and the people of God. And then you begin in verse 10 and 11 and and 12 and 13 to, to have these stones given to us. And these aren't just any stones. These are precious jewels. And why are they precious jewels? Because, again, they represent how precious the people of God are to God. We need to be reminded of that. And then at the end of verse 14, he goes back to talking about the fact that they are engraved like a seal. That's who our God is with us. In fact, in the book of Isaiah the people of God said, God, you've forgotten us. And God responded to them through the prophet Isaiah when he said these words, look, how could I forget you? I have inscribed you and your name on the palms of my hands. I've engraved you upon, how could I forget you? That's why the engraving and the cutting 
is so significant to these pieces of, of the priesthood garments because they represent, if you will, again, how cherished and how precious and what a treasure the people of God are to God. You and I need to remember that too. Think about that even when it comes to the crucifixion, that those nail prints and, and, and the spike through our, our Lord's feet, he will forever carry those scars. Remember, he told Thomas, even after his resurrected body, he still carried the imprints of those. Why is he carrying the imprints of those even in his glorified state? Because he wants to remind us, these engravings, if you will, are a memorial to how much I love you. They will forever show us how much Jesus loves us as his people. Just as the engravings and the cuttings into the priestly garments were to remind the people of God of how much he loved them in their day. We've seen this word, I haven't called it out yet, but you've seen this word if you've read this passage of Scripture sometimes, and I just wanted to mention it here in verse 16. They made two gold filigree settings. The word filigree has been used like three or four times already in this chapter, and it simply refers to the fine thread that was being used to weave these pieces together. Any of you who do that kind of, you would appreciate the craftsmanship, if you will, the skill that it takes to do these kind of, of things at that kind of level, working with that very fine gold thread. Unbelievable. Then go down to verse 24. He still talks about the robe and, again, the priestly garments, but then he begins to mention something along the bottom of the priest's garments that sort of sets it apart. They're going to put pomegranates and bells on the bottom of the priestly robe. Why a pomegranate? Well, God has a purpose for everything. We don't know in Scripture specifically why God chose pomegranates, but let me suggest something. Pomegranates are unique amongst fruit. With pomegranates, you don't eat the flesh like you do with most other fruits and you leave the seeds. With pomegranates, it's just the opposite. The flesh is inedible. You eat the seeds within. And the pomegranate is a very sort of tough, leathery exterior, bruised, not very attractive externally. But then you open it up and there's these beautiful ruby-colored little nuggets, right? So think about the fact that these pomegranates or the, what they would be sewn around the bottom of the garment of the priest. Along with that, notice in verse 25, they made bells of pure gold and attached the bells between them. So there'd be a pomegranate, then a bell. Pomegranate, bell. Pomegranate, bell that would go around the priestly garment. Now we know why the bells were attached. They were to allow the people outside to trace the movements of the priest inside because he was hidden from view. 
and there was the possibility that he would do something so egregious that God would strike him dead while he was ministering. And so if they didn't hear the bells any longer, they had attached a, basically a rope around his ankle that literally would pull him out of the most holy place if anything happened to him while he was ministering there. It reminds us of the holiness of our God. And we see this emphasized then in verse 30 when they talk about the headpiece of the priest, that he had this sort of crown, if you will, of pure gold and an inscription on it which, meant, which said, holiness to the Lord. It is a reminder that the worship of our God should inspire consecration and dedication. That worship is not worship if the worshipers are not becoming more consecrated and more devoted and more dedicated to God. That's what worship should be all about, leading us to become more holy to our God. And that everything we do should be holiness to our God. Verse 32, we see the phrase, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. That is significant because the tabernacle was its proper name and the tent of meeting was its purpose. Tabernacle was its name, but the tent of meeting was its purpose. Let's not forget that. Why did God have them erect the tabernacle? Because that's where he wanted to meet with his people. As Nicole reminded us, it's all about God always wanting to have a relationship, fellowship, communion, to be close to us. The closer we get to God, that's always God's design. And God will always be working to bring us as a group closer to him and us individually closer to him. That's part of that holiness to the Lord. Thank God that he's created a meeting place for us right here where we meet with him as well on a regular basis. Two other things here in verse 32 that's important. Notice it says, all the work of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, first of all, was completed, finished. Oh, we could spend a whole message on that. Many times we start things, but we don't finish them. God, thank the Lord, is a finisher. Whatever God starts, he finishes. As Paul said, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it, finish it. We need to make sure that the things that we take on, that we finish them for God. That's why Jesus encourages his disciples, count the cost before you agree to do something so that you don't get halfway through something and don't see it through to the end. Make sure that whatever you take on, you have, again, given careful thought, planning, and preparation to, and you have counted the cost so that you and I finish and complete everything. 
that God gives us to do. And then notice the word or the phrase at the end of verse 32, they did exactly so, all that the Lord commanded. In every detail, the whole. So it's not just finishing, it's making sure that when we do something for the Lord, we don't just do part of it, we do the whole of it. We do it in every detail that God has revealed in us to do. One other thing tonight I want to share with you. If you go over to the benediction of Moses in verses 42 and 43, the Israelites did all the work according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So Moses comes and notice he inspects all the work that they had done just as the Lord commanded and they did it exactly and therefore Moses blessed them. What does this tie into? It is a reminder to us that our worship even today creates a new creation. I want you to keep that in mind. Worship creates a new creation. I hadn't seen this until this very last pass through the book of Exodus, that there is a parallel between what is taking place in Exodus 39 and the building now and the erection of this tabernacle and the original creation story. Think about it. What was happening here in Exodus 39? They made the tabernacle. Then what does Moses do? He sees it or he views it. He inspects it. Then he approves it. And then he blesses it. If you go back to the book of Genesis, what do you see the pattern there? God makes his creation. He sees what he made. He approves it. He says it is good. And then what's he do? He blesses it. Worship always involves a new creation. That's why Paul tells the Corinthians, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. God always wants to bring new things, fresh things into our life as we worship him. And what was happening here is something new was about to happen. This tabernacle worship was now going to begin and God was going to take his people now from this level of worshiping him to another level. And that's what God always wants to do with his people through worship. That's why Paul tells the Corinthians, he takes us from one level of glory to another level of glory through the spirit of God. And that's what God wants to do in our lives individually and as a church. He wants us, as we continue to learn and grow in our worship, to create in us a new creation, to bring even new and wonderful things out and about that we can experience. And that's why we should never get complacent or satisfied with where we are as a church or where we are individually because God has so many more new, wonderful blessings and things he wants to take uh, to us and, and pour out in our lives. And he just wants us to be willing and ready to go with him and move as he moves. May we respond as God moves in our lives 
and in our midst. May we allow him to work and bring out all that God has and all that God put in here, that God can bring it out and that we will cooperate with our God. And we will work out our own salvation, as Paul says. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for the wonderful time of worship that we've had in your house. We thank you, God, for your presence that just makes all the difference in the world. God, there's such a peace that comes when your presence is near, when we sense you here. There's such a joy that fills our heart. There's such confidence and courage that that builds and swells within us, God. And God, I just pray that for all of us and for us as a church, that God, even as Nicole was praying and talking about how they, they always fought against you, God. They, they, were, they were always sort of unwilling so often to go with you and to continue to move and I pray that that wouldn't be us, Lord. That, Lord, we would always be willing to move and respond to you as you reveal more of yourself to us. God, may we realize that you want to bring out new and wonderful things. May we be okay with that. Thank you, God, for tonight. Thank you for the refreshment we've had through you and through your people. Lord, would you take us all home safely and would you even begin now to build in us an anticipation and expectation to come back to your house on Sunday and worship you once again in spirit and in truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. God bless. We'll see you next week.